We'll turn to the second sermon. This is the first one, as we say. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 63. I include the title there because it is part of the scriptures. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, and therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Amen. In Hebrews 13. <clears throat> Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed, undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who have rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. 
Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. May I ask you or uh, plead with you at the outset to lend me or lend the Lord your minds uh, this morning because this, this sermon could be um, a little thicker than some, um, but I pray that the Lord would use it uh, for our betterment. Let me begin with a question. What is the utility of Christian worship? What use does it serve? Children, that's like saying, um, what can I do with it, right? You pick up a, a tool, it has a utility, it has a purpose, right? When we say what is the purpose of Christian worship, that kind of misses the question because we know the purpose is the glory of God ultimately, but that's, that's not really what I'm asking. What can you do with Christian worship? It's also not the same thing as asking, what fruits come from Christian worship? Because we know that when we come to worship the Lord, our faith is strengthened. We are rebuked, chastised, lifted up, uh, given the grace of God by his word. We're grown in holiness and all those things. But that is not what I mean when I use the word utility. Now, maybe you're even assuming something like this. That it's a question like, what do you get out of worship? Again, that's not what I mean either. But this is a good question to address because a lot of people ask it, and I even find myself asking it of people after a worship service. I'm going to use this phrase for just a moment to try to help us understand the silliness of asking such a question, possibly even the sinfulness of asking such a question. Asking what do you get out of worship would be like asking this. What did you get out of being caught up into heaven by faith? Oh, it was okay, I guess. What did you get out of drawing near to the throne of your heavenly Father through the blood of his Son? Well, the, the pastor said a couple things I didn't like. What did you get out of hearing the Lord of all things, speak to you directly from his perfect word. Well, my children distracted me, so not too much. Now, maybe you see how absurd the question is. And you also begin to see the difficulty in persuading others of the proper way of viewing worship. Because we are trained into thinking that if something doesn't do something for us, if it has no utility, as I'm using the word, if I don't get anything out of it, 
then it's a waste of time. You parents of the Lord God Almighty's dear covenant children, you have been chiefly tasked with persuading your children of the glory of Christian worship. I would encourage you, don't develop a bad attitude to having your children in service. You want them to behold the Lord, and they'll not learn to do so without actually doing so. If you haven't noticed, I'm going to focus on worship this morning. We're going to bring in joy as well. I'm going to use two verses that we uh, read, one from Psalm 63 and not as much, but we can refer to Hebrews 13, uh, a verse there as well. But let me, let me inform you what worship is. Worship is not singing. You go to a contemporary style church, they'll call the first part of the service, which is, for my taste, abnormally too long, the worship, right? where you just sing four or five songs in a row. Worship is not singing. Worship is not the preaching. Neither of those are the singularly important part of Christian worship. The entire act of what we do when we gather together is worship. Don't, let me again, let me speak to parents. Don't train your children to do whatever they want until the sermon as if everything else is less important. But also on the flip side, don't train them to do whatever they want during the sermon as if it's not for them. And as I say, don't train them to do that. Don't allow yourself to train yourself to think the same way either. I've seen and heard many a person that is all wound up and excited about theology and sound doctrine. So they say, they're all locked in during the sermon. But every other part of the service, they appear as if they are at a funeral. Or that it's the most bothersome thing in the world. For them to devote their attention to the prayers of the church and the singing of her songs. They don't really actually participate in the service because they have no clue what worship is. The chief thing you need to think of when you hear the word worship. Worship is doing what is done in heaven. Worship is doing what is done in in heaven. Now, this is most obviously done when the church gathers to meet with the Lord. And I'll grant you, this is not a perfect definition, but I think it works. Psalm 16 has a verse that says this In your presence, in your presence, God is the fullness of joy. In Psalm 63, verse 5, the verse we're going to use out of Psalm 63, says we're given, we are given there the line of a mouth that praises the Lord with joyful lips. Let me read it to you again. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. That word there for marrow it's basically a repetition of the second word. My soul shall be satisfied as with fatness and fatness, the hardiness of God's presence and His worship. If the fullness of joy is in God's presence, and we have modeled for us in Psalm 63 that we are to praise Him with joyful lips, then we are being filled with that which forms from God's presence, namely Himself. We are being filled with joy. Joy is 
in the presence of God, the fullness of joy. In Romans 5, Paul teaches that we have the love of God poured into our hearts. In John 3, or 1 John 3, we're told that God is love. Therefore, we could say that he pours himself into his people. And this same truth applies to joy. When we come to worship the Lord, we simply return what he has given We return the joy that he has given us. We return to what we are made to do. We mimic the saints in heaven. Indeed, we join them in the fullness of joy, and we are overflowing with joy. That reminds me, when we say in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the communion of saints, we're not just talking about the communion of the saints on the earth. We're talking about our communion that we have with the saints on high that we share with Him and we join by the Lord and through His Spirit in worshiping the triune God when we come into His presence. So we defined worship. Let's define joy. Now, I'm tempted to say that joy is happiness in God. But that won't quite cut it because happiness is much too casual a term today. Joy is it's much firmer than happiness. It has a a weightiness to it that happiness does not have. Joy is delight. Joy is an affection, to borrow a word that is very often used today, and uh, please forgive me for using it, but joy is almost a feeling. We could almost use that term of it, but again, that's a very shallow Uh, way to use the term. Joy is an affection produced in the Christian by being in the presence of God. And it is probably right to say that joy comes from love. Love leads to joy. We know this in our relationship with people. Joy is more consistent than happiness. It's a moving of the heart in a certain direction, even when the feelings may not be there to boost it along. Use husband and wife relations as example. You're not happy with your spouse in a moment, but you have an obligation to perform. And that joy that you have in serving them, that joy that you have in their being given to you by God, it moves you along, even if you don't feel like it. Joy is different than happiness, is different than a feeling, we might say. This joy is created in us as a gift of God's Spirit. He fills the saints with joy in their hearts so that that which proceeds out of their mouths may be joyful as well. You see I'm drawing on the words of Christ from the Gospels. Now let's think about the word joyful for a moment. <clears throat> we said joy, let's think about joyful. It is as it appears, joy and full put together. If something is full of joy, you could describe it as joyful. Children, imagine this this illustration. This may be a picture in your mind. You could almost think of like a trash can. Ever seen a trash can overflowing? Imagine your mouth is the top of a container that holds your heart. That is actually more accurate than you might think. The heart is the center of the person more than it is an organ in the Scriptures. The body is the container 
Whatever comes out of the mouth, it comes from the heart. God fills us so that we might overflow, like the trash that needs to be taken out. The psalmist speaks of praising the Lord out of his mouth. So this is sung and spoken praise, right? When we sing praise to God, we speak praise to God, it comes out of our mouth and it comes from our hearts. But where does this happen? Yes, it can happen anywhere. We can worship the Lord in a sense anywhere, but the premier place is in the worship of the church. But that better not be the only place that we speak the praises of the Lord or we'll be in rough shape. Our hearts will not be, as the hymn says, tuned to his praise. But back to why I opened with having you think of what the usefulness or utility of Christian worship is. I could ask you the same thing about joy or why you should pursue joy. And think about it like this. No matter what answer you give when you talk about the usefulness of joy, you're going to continue to have to explain why for whatever answer you give. You know, parents, how children ask that question. Why? 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 Why are we given joy? Well, to praise God. Why do we praise God? Well, to honor him. Why do you honor him? You see what I mean? It goes on and on and on and on. If you haven't picked up on it yet, I mean the questions, how is worship or how is joy useful? I mean them in a a bit of ironic way. We must, as a church, grasp this. To make worship useful is to make it a means to an end. The use of worship is rightly said to be joining heaven in God's service through word, sacrament, and prayer. Worship is the purpose for which you have been made. Our shorter catechism, the very first question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In what him forever? Enjoy him forever. You see, they're drawing on not just our earthly purpose, but our ultimate purpose that we have been made to glorify God and enjoy Him. And worship is the chief reflection of this. Worship is only going to be useful to you if you understand it to be the purpose for which you have been made. It is a means to an end in a sense because worship brings us to God and worship is communion with God. Worship is the end. The, when I say the end, children, I don't mean the last thing. I mean the ultimate thing, the greatest thing, that which we are striving towards. Our ultimate purpose is worship. And worship can be said to be the end of life because God is at that end. You get God in worship. And this truth fills your mouth with joy again and again, unendingly. God is infinite and incomprehensible. His sharing of his joy is his sharing of himself with his own that he might, that we might be with him. Now, these two places uh, that I referenced in Hebrews 13 and Psalm 63 aren't the only places that speak about joy in this way. 
In John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. His joy, Christ's joy in us, for the fullness of our own joy. Now, Christ is not saying that the Christian has two joys within them, like a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. That's not what he's saying. Christians have full joy. Christians are joyful because the joy of Christ is in them. Joy should swell in the heart because of this truth. Joy, it cannot be faked any more than worship can be faked. But we're tempted, aren't we, to fake it in worship? Heck, we, we must admit that we're not even tempted. We just do it, don't we? Just go through the motions. What do you automatically shift into a lack of care and attentiveness? Why do we do that? Because we believe the lie. The lie of the enemy. That worship needs to be useful in the sense that I was using it earlier. We don't think it's useful. Have you noticed, though? This is where it gets a little deep. Have you noticed that the greatest things in life are the least useful? The greatest things in life are the least useful. You can't really do anything with the greatest things because all you can do is experience them. Loving a spouse. How is that useful? Is it? What do you do with it? I mean, you make a family and all that, but how is it useful? What, what does it do for you? At the end of the day, you're just loving a spouse. Loving a child. Watching a child play. Walking on the beach at night. It's better at night. Feeling a fire. Worshiping the Lord in prayer at home or in the church. Singing his praise. What use do those things have? None. They are just to be beheld or experienced. Like Moses at the burning bush, there was nothing he could get out of the bush. He simply looked. You need to start thinking of worship in the church in the same fashion. You're coming to look. When you pray, you are looking. When you sing, you are looking. When the word is read and preached, you are looking. Or to use a little more lofty word, beholding. When the offering is received and presented, you are looking. There is joy in looking. In one sense, the heart of faith always, to borrow the term that we don't like, gets something out of worship. That is to be granted. But in another sense, if you don't believe me about the difficulty of this question of persuading people or even persuading your own heart, you can ask your non-Christian friends what you do as a Christian, especially taking the time to worship him privately and publicly. Heck, why do family worship? You could be watching that show and sending your children to watch their favorite show. 
You're in worship. You could be on vacation. You can go to worship on vacation, by the way. You could be on the golf course. You could be at home. When you do this with people, it's absolutely useless in that sense, isn't it? But that's what makes it glorious. It is what the church will do forever. And we will do it together. It is what the saints are already experiencing now on high. They're doing it without their bodies. They and we are awaiting the resurrection to join them, to join the Lord Jesus Christ when our looking will no longer be by faith, but by sight. And the worship of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief place wherein that taste of that final state is experienced. It is what Christians will do forever. It is what the saints on high have already begun doing. And it is the most glorious privilege of the Christian. And as Christians, maybe you should begin to make a list of things that are totally useless. And note how those things cannot be explained, just experienced. I would encourage you to do those things more, to do them with joy, because they are the best things in life. They are meant to lead us to heaven through Christ and by his Holy Spirit. The experience of these things is often uh, related to a discussion about what has been called the transcendentals, truth and beauty and goodness. Right? Those things are chiefly attributed to God in the scriptures, but they're ways of thinking about all of life and all of our experience. When we experience absolute truth, we just experience it. When we experience absolute beauty, standing in front of a beautiful piece of architecture, can't even really describe, you can try. You just experience it. You just look at it. And the things that are good in this life, like I mentioned, what is greater than listening to the laughter of children? Nothing. In the sense of our experience, nothing. Because we run up against that truth, beauty, and goodness with which God has woven the world. And worship is included in that. You see, friends, Christ is coming, and he will take us to the place where we will perform that which is utterly useless forever and ever. But there, there's no concern over time. You won't be missing anything, and you will be more alive than you've ever been. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to look, to behold. Would you tune our hearts to these things that we would have the joy of Christ remaining in us so that our joy might merge with his, share in his, and be made full for the purpose of worship. Would remind us that the Lord's service, whether at home, in the church, or wherever, is preparation 
for eternity. Fix our hearts to love that more. We ask it with the prayer that Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom.